Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we are going to share the story about a very obscure college player by the name of Clarence Bevo Francis. He only played two years of college basketball and then disappeared. But in those two years, he made himself into a legend. But not without overcoming many roadblocks on his way to the record book. It seemed like he could just not catch a break. Something was always being thrown in his way. He played for Little Rio Grande College, and this school played in the lower levels of college basketball. But even with that said, Bevo averaged 50 points per game as a freshman. These are Chamberlain-type numbers. But I am getting a little ahead of myself. Let me take you back to the beginning of his story. He was born on September 4, 1932 in Hammondsville, Ohio to Clarence and Anna Francis as child number seven in his family. His father was a clay miner while his mother oversaw the family farm. His nickname of Bevo is an unusual one. He inherited it from his father. His father was known in town for being very fond of a non-alcoholic beer called Bevo. He drank it so much that everyone just started calling him Bevo. That nickname also fell to young Clarence as he was known as Little Beave, and then just Bevo as he got older. When he was young, he had to miss two full years of school due to anemia. This was roadblock number one, as he was not able to play youth sports until his health got better. But he did grow quite tall during that time. When it was time to return to school, he joined school at the same grade where he left off two years earlier. This meant that he was two years older than everyone else in his class because of his two-year absence. But despite the anemia, he was always a very good athlete. And he loved basketball. He had a reputation for being a sharpshooter. His jump shot was as smooth as Ray Allen's. He was known to practice his jump shot for as long as eight hours a day. He developed quite a reputation in his area. Every high school in his part of Ohio wanted him to join their basketball team. His family then moved to Wellsville, Ohio right before he started high school as a 17-year-old freshman. There he would attend Wellsville High School, and this is where he ran into roadblock number two. He was ruled ineligible to play for Wellsville by the local school board because it was rumored that his parents had been given their house for free in order for Bevo to attend Wellsville. But here is the thing. There was no concrete evidence. Just a rumor. However, if the story was true, his family was indeed given an improper benefit. But they could not prove it. Still, he had to miss the entire year of basketball. 
For his second year of high school, he was now 18 years old and was declared ineligible again because basically the school board still had not made up its mind about whether or not Bebo's family had received their house for free. This was roadblock number three. So he had two years of high school completed, but he still had not played a single minute of basketball in a game, although he was allowed to practice with the team in order to keep his skills sharp. And near the end of his sophomore year, he married his girlfriend, Jean Chrislip, and they had their first baby during their junior year of high school. And they gave their baby the nickname of Frank, which was short for their last name of Francis. Of course, if this were happening today, the parents would sue the school board to either prove the infraction or let their kid play basketball. But this was 1950, and that is not how things were done back then. So now, it is his junior year. Bevo is a newlywed and a new father, and he has finally declared eligible to play on the basketball team. His coach gave him the number 32 for his jersey because that is how many points he wanted Bevo to score each game. He nearly did it, averaging just under 31 points per game that year. But unbeknownst to anybody, that would be his final year of high school basketball. Talk about a one and done. See, even though he had one more year of high school basketball to go, he had turned 20 years old by the beginning of his senior year. In the state of Ohio, as in many states, your high school eligibility for sports expires on the day you turn 20 or complete four years of schooling, whichever comes first. And in his case, turning 20 came before he completed four years of schooling. So that was roadblock number four, having his senior year of high school basketball taken away because of his age. As I said before, this guy can't catch a break. Like in my case, I completed four years of high school and four years of playing for the football team while I was still 17 years old. That is when my eligibility expired. But of course, my story is very different from Bevo's. But some good news did come along. His high school coach, Newt Oliver, was hired to be the new head coach at Rio Grande College, and he convinced Bevo to follow him there. Even though he had not yet completed high school, the college enrolled him because of his basketball skill. So finally, something went his way. While Bevo was taking college courses, Coach Oliver also had Bevo enroll at the local high school to complete his final one and a half credits in order to get his high school diploma. So he enrolled at Rio Grande College in Rio Grande, Ohio. The school had only 92 students with only 38 of them being men. That is a very small pool from which to form a basketball team. The previous year, they had won only four games. This school was far better known for training Baptist ministers than for developing basketball players. Since they were a tiny college located in the middle of a farming community, their home gym was affectionately known as the Hog Pen. And with a name like Rio Grande, I assumed that the school was in Texas or New Mexico somewhere near the Mexican border. And I have to be honest, the pronunciation of Rio Grande just hurts my heart as a Spanish speaker. Instinctively, I want to say Rio Grande, or at the very least, Rio Grande. But it's their school, and they can call themselves whatever they want. Anyway, Bevo was lighting up the scoreboard with his shooting. 
His coach designed the offense that Beaver would score in huge bunches. He said, quote, I knew that people wouldn't pay to see five players score 15 points each, but I knew that they would flock in to see one player score 50, unquote. Thankfully, the rest of the players bought into this system and were totally on board. They knew what they had in Bevo, and they wanted to win some games, and they were completely comfortable with turning Rio Grande basketball into the Bevo show. But just to be clear, while the offense was completely designed around Bevo, it was not like the rest of the players were a bunch of slouches. They could score as well. While many college players during that time shot the two-handed set shot, the Rio Grande players were shooting one-handed jump shots and runners in the paint. They were a genuinely potent offense. At 6'9", Bevo was a force to deal with for any opponent. He was often the tallest player on the court at the level of college that he played. He scored in the 60s half a dozen times and into the 70s on two occasions. But many people disregard these scores because most of them came against business schools or two-year colleges, which is an even lower level of basketball than when Rio Grande played. They were playing teams well below their own division. It would be like a team of 18-year-olds playing a game against a bunch of 14-year-olds. So many of these games were not considered official. But on January 9, 1953, they matched up with Ashland Junior College, a two-year school from Kentucky, which played at the very lowest level of college basketball and Bevo just torched them. As he got into the 70s and into the 80s, his teammates began to feed him on nearly every possession. At the time, the record for the most points scored in a single game by a college player was 86. So he was only three baskets away with nearly five minutes left on the clock. So he gets to 86, but there is still more time on the clock. With just a couple of minutes left, he hit the magic number of one points. At this point in the game, his teammates were wondering how far they could push this thing. With those last couple of minutes, they continued to feed him the ball. When the final horn sounded, Bevo had 116 points, smashing the old record. More importantly, at least as far as I'm concerned, they won the game, 150 to 85. This was national news overnight. His name was in every major newspaper across the country. Nobody had ever seen numbers like this before. It was an absolute revelation. This was a new NCAA record for most points scored in a single game. The team did not lose a single game that year. It was an incredible feat no matter what level of basketball was being played. They finished the season with 39 wins and zero losses. And even though they played in no postseason tournaments, Coach Oliver ordered a banner to be made up declaring themselves the 1953 national champions. No other school from any level went 39-0 that year. And that banner still hangs in the gym today. Scoring over 100 is a really hard thing to do no matter what level of basketball is being played, which is why it almost never happens. At the NBA level, we all know that it has only happened once in nearly 65,000 games played in NBA history. But in the euphoria of such an accomplishment came roadblock number five. The NCAA declared Bevo's record scoring game as invalid. They completely wiped it from their record books. In addition to that, 
the NCAA also wiped out about half of Rio Grande's victories that year. Because Rio Grande played so many weak opponents, technical colleges and seminaries, the NCAA said that the only games that would count would be games against other four-year institutions. Rio Grande was a four-year school and their schedule was almost exclusively two-year schools. And this is a good place to take a break. I'll be right back with the story of Bevo's second year at Rio Grande College. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let us get on with Bevo's second year at Rio Grande College. That year, Coach Oliver decided to play more competitive schedule to keep the NCAA off their back. They played teams like Villanova University, Providence, Wake Forest, Butler University, and Arizona State. This gave them more credibility since now they were playing some schools that were above their level. They even beat Villanova in Philadelphia of all time. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.